We're in a study on the book of First Peter. So if you're new to the Grace Works this morning, which I know I met a couple new families, or if you're new word of the Grace Works, uh, typically we pick out a book of the Bible and we preach all the way through it. Uh, we believe that, you know, God has, has uh, inspired these authors to write something. And uh, we kind of like to start at the beginning and work our way till the end just to make sure we see everything that God had for us and for the original readers. So we decided to, to go through First Peter, and, and the overall, uh, overarching, I should say, theme in this book is saints through suffering. Uh, and so again, if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, if you're a Christian, you're a saint. That's what the scriptures say about you. And so this gives us some insight and some thoughts on how to be a saint through suffering. And so we find ourselves kind of getting towards the middle of this book. We got uh, a few weeks under our belt and we got a few more to go. And so we're kind of in the meat uh, of what Peter had for the, the church. Uh, the church that was dispersed, that was under the heavy thumb of the Roman rule and the Roman Empire. And the last couple of weeks, if you've been with us, we've been looking at the idea of, uh, the idea of honoring and submitting. Uh, and the idea of honoring a government that may not look like what you want your government to look like. Again, if Peter's writing to Christians, a lot of them are Jews and they're living dispersed. They're not in Jerusalem. They're not in Israel, but they're all over the Roman. Uh, the Romans had moved them out when they conquered. So we had them all over the place. So they're living in government under governments that aren't necessarily the ones they would have chosen. And so how do we honor other people, other believers, but also those who are non-believers in the government. Uh, we looked at last week the idea of, of honoring um, authorities, whether it was a, a boss or in this, in this day and age, maybe even a slave master. What did God have to say to the church on how they can honor and submit to authority in a God-honoring way? And, and, and so as we try to apply that to us and what does that look like for you and I and, and for our jobs these days and the authority, our employers, our bosses that we've been given. This week, today's gonna, Peter's gonna tell us that we need to honor at home. We need to be a people who honor each other at home. And it's going to go both ways between the husband and the wife who are following Christ. And so if you're here this morning, you're not married, whether you've been married and you're no longer married, or maybe you're on the opposite side of that where you haven't gotten married yet, there's still a lot of applicable stuff in today's sermon. So I don't want you to just tune out and say, I'm not a husband. I'm not a wife. I, 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 this doesn't have anything to do with me. But we're going to look at what Peter writes. We're going to see how this applies to you and I today. So the worthiness of the honor, as we've seen over the last couple of weeks, is not based on the person that is receiving the honor. But it's based on God's command to us and the authority that he has in our life and his desire for us to honor Everyone, even those, as we saw last week, the week before, uh, those who are quite dishonorable. We've still been called to honor them. So today, as we talk for the married couples that are out there, 
Some of you have great marriages, and I praise God for that. Not that you can't always work on them to get them a little bit better, make them a little bit stronger, but I thank God for those. And some of you are sitting out there, and and there's a little tension in your marriage, or maybe even strife, you would say. And I think, again, today we're going to see a lot uh, of, of ideas and, and thoughts that will help us live even in those kind of tense, tension-filled marriages. So today, honor is the word of the day, just like it was the last couple of weeks. So the two commands we're going to see to each, the husband and the wife, I was going to kind of get them out of the way first, kind of just say them, then we'll look at what Peter has to say, and hopefully that'll be a good uh, opportunity for you to learn, kind of to be taught, And then at the end, we'll talk about them again. But wives, we're going to see a couple of things this morning. We're going to see God through Peter write in and encourage those believing wives to be subject to your own husband and to adorn yourself with internal and eternal beauty. And what does that look like? And husbands, we're going to, we're going to see the encouragement this morning to live with your wives in an understanding way. And show honor to your wife. Again, I think Peter's going to tie all this together at the end with that concept and that idea again of honoring, which is so important. And we've seen that these last couple of weeks. So if you have your Bible along with you, I want to invite you to open up to 1 Peter 3. If not, obviously we'll have the words up here on the screen, but it is nice to have a Bible there in case you want to take notes, highlight something, circle it. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, uh, you just don't have a Bible, we have some ex, uh, extra ones back on the grab a Bible table, and we want to invite you to even now go back there, grab one of those, and let that be a gift from us to you this morning. Um, and so we're going to dive right into chapter 3. Peter writes, likewise... Wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So the first imperative that we see here for the wives is to be subject to your own husbands. Okay, we're going to start out with potentially something that could sound controversial right away. Why not, right? Peter Peter just jumps right in. But if you truly understand the word uh to be subjected to or subject, this was a Greek military term meaning to arrange in a military fashion under the command of a leader. So you have to keep that in mind as you think about what Peter was writing to the audience of that day. Um, in non-military use, though it's very similar, um, and, and it means a voluntary attitude of giving in, cooperating, assuming responsibility, and carrying a burden. As we look at the roles that Peter's laying out here, it's important to keep in mind that as he's being inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these, the perfect example of submission, and we'll talk about it a little bit later, is Jesus Christ, who is fully God, to God the Father, who is, of course, fully God. And so by keeping that in mind, you kind of understand that we're using an example where one is not greater than the other, but they are equals, and yet they have their own jobs, their own responsibilities, and there is submission that is talked about in Scripture 
of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to God the Father. The roles of men and women, uh, it's a topic of great discussion amongst the churches. Uh, we, we've, we've read books on it. We've talked about it before. Um, because when it comes to the view of men and women in the home and how they should respond, uh, there's some varying ideas and thoughts. So I'm going to throw out a couple of big words that you may or may not have heard uh, this morning. One of them is a complementarian idea or thought process. The other one is an egalitarian idea. And I'm going to, I'm going to talk a little bit about both of those. And just to give you some ideas, some thoughts, and and maybe how they started uh, and what the potential uh, problems are if you go to the extremes on either side. Complementarian theology views the roles of men and women as different and yet complementary, right? So men do certain things, women do certain things, and they complement each other. It, we, it's funny when we're at the office, and, and this isn't men and women, but we talk about like Dave and I, we kind of, we have like complementary styles of ministry and of work, uh, and, 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 and our thought process. So we balance each other out. And I see that as a positive, right? Sometimes they say it's like the yin to the yang, right? So we don't get out of balance. Dave keeps me grounded and I try to, you know, encourage him to shoot for the stars, right? I mean, it's, again, it's just one of those things where the reality is that we balance each other out. And, and there's some value to see that men and women are different, even though they are equal. Egalitarian theology views no distinction in the roles of men and women. And, and this does have implications if you hold to that in the home, right? As well as church leadership. Um, and, and with each camp, like I said, there's a wide range of differing opinions, different thought processes, right? And, and, and sometimes people go to the extremes. And the extremes, as we know, are areas you want to stay away from. They're dangerous. They can be harmful uh, to the church, if it's in regards to the church, uh, or also to your families. And I hope that you'll see this morning that it's unbiblical uh, to take either of these to the to full extreme. The extreme unbiblical view of complementarianism would be like a patriarchy. And in a patriarchy, women are viewed as a second-class citizen. And, and in some areas of the world back then, that was definitely how things uh, were, were going on in the reality of it, but also were viewed that way. That men were in charge, women didn't need to even try, really. You know, just, just stay at home. And again, the Bible doesn't show that. It's not a less than. And so that extreme of patriarchy, it's, it's not valid. It's not what we see in scripture. Uh, and it's wrong. The extreme unbiblical view of egalitarianism blurs the line of gender and that there is a difference so far that they basically want to say that there's no difference between men and women and everything that men can do or should do, women can do or should do, and that there isn't anything laid out by God that shows distinct roles for men and women. It allows for kind of a... a, a, a 
not exactly what the word use, is being used in the United States right now or around the world, but that gender fluidity, it's that same kind of idea that men and women are completely interchangeable and, and they look at the extreme view of that is also unbiblical. It's not what the Bible says. It's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible sees an equality of men and women, but with different roles. And that there's value, and it doesn't lessen the value of that person by highlighting roles that would happen in a church situation or at home so if you want to know where we would land as a leadership of, of the church, we tend to lean towards complementarianism in the home and what we would call soft complementarianism in church roles. Uh, and this was a real important issue a few years ago for us to flesh out and spend a lot of time reading. And, and we talked to a lot of you who have been around the church for a long time to get your thoughts and your understanding. And, and we, we scoured scriptures and, and books written by men and women that we really uh, wanted to honor and, and trust and appreciate. Uh, and ultimately, we came up with this idea that there are some roles in the church that God kind of gives us some information on, and we think that there's value there, but that there's also value in, in um, allowing women maybe to do some of the roles that they haven't done in the past, or at least at a lot of churches that they haven't. And, and because this was an important issue, Pastor Kevin, um, if you haven't met him yet, he's the lead pastor down at the other campus. He's the, the one who launched the Graceworks about 12 years ago. He wrote an 18-page position paper on this issue. So if any of you this morning are like, okay, this is like peaking my interest. I'd love to read a little bit more about this. Get a hold of myself, Pastor Dave. You can get a hold of Kevin directly, and we can email that to you. Uh, and we would love to get together and talk uh, about it if, if, you, uh, if you read it and you still have thoughts or questions. But I don't want to spend all our time. I'm speaking about this, but let's, let's just start out by acknowledging that it's, it's different or it's difficult to get away from the idea of complementarianism in the home because the scriptures such as this and others point towards uh, God's design and God's plan for marriage. And, and so really we have to figure out what does this mean so that we don't take it to an unhealthy extreme. And I, again, I would encourage that on both sides. So the text, this text today, and I think all of scripture speaks to the equal value of men and women while at the same time advocating for godly order in our homes. Okay? So there is an order that God has laid out that is ideal for the family. So as much as the thought of submission makes some of us cringe, it really shouldn't. And of course, like I said earlier, the greatest example of why it shouldn't is the relationship between God the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ. So let me read to you this beautiful text in Philippians 2. If you have your Bible with you and you want to roll over to Philippians chapter 2, I'm going to start in verse 5. I think there's a lot of value here. So we're reading Peter, we're studying First Peter, but it, we're going to jump over to Paul here in Philippians chapter 2. In your relationships with one another have the same mindset that Jesus Christ had, who being in the very nature 
of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Christ submits to the Father voluntarily. But we would never say that Jesus somehow had less worth than God the Father. Right? And yet we see that in the garden on the night that, that he was betrayed and then ultimately uh, put up on the cross. He prayed, if this cup could pass from me, take it from me. As he prayed to his Father. But he said, but not my will, but yours be done. Right? So we have God in the form of Jesus Christ, the second part of the Trinity, equal to God the Father, equal to Holy Spirit, submitting himself to God the Father's plan. Christ simply has a different role than the Father. And so his role was very important. Jesus is the one who went to the cross on our behalf. We have life through him. And what happened as a result of that? Well, God elevated him or exalted, as Peter would say, him or Paul would say, to the highest place. Now, likewise, in a home that is working in a discipleship mindset, the husband elevates the wife for her unique and powerful role in his life and in the family and at her job and in the community. Peter gives a wonderful reason that wives should submit to their husbands so that they may be won over. This applies all the way up to those who do not obey the word. So if you're here this morning and and your spouse doesn't believe in Jesus Christ and you're here and you bring the kids, praise God for you. And as much as you can, as long as it's not sinful, going back to last week, going back to two weeks ago, Right? The submission does not give authority to have to follow something that's been told to you or ordered to you that, that would cause you to sin. But as much as you can, you should live to honor your husband or your spouse, because it goes both ways. And wives submit to your husband's leadership. Why? Because Peter says they may be won over by your conduct. From a Christian husband who is obeying the word all the way to the unbeliever, Peter is giving the same advice. The Christian to Christian, it's understood, right? It's one of those things where Peter knows that a lot of the families that will be reading this are still together. And yet he writes specifically for those who don't have a believing spouse, Ladies, you can win your husband over by respectful and pure conduct. That's what Peter says. Now, there's a lot of prayer, and there's a lot of tears, and there's a lot of counsel and encouragement that needs to go on. But what Peter is saying is this does not, because your husband is not a believer, this does not give you the right 
to not honor him or even be subject to him. God can use you in the relationship that you are in. So resist the temptation to get your way through manipulation, withholding, cajoling, nagging, whatever you might do to get your way. That does not honor or glorify God. God is glorified. He is shown honor when the order that he has placed out is being followed. The wife submits to the husband. The husband submits to the son, Jesus Christ. And the son submits to the father. Everyone is submitting. Everyone is honoring. God is glorified. And Peter's second instruction for women is equally as compelling. We'll move on to the next verses here. Starting in verse 3, it says, Do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of the hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husband as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children. If you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Peter says, don't merely concentrate on your external appearance. Seek an internal and thus eternal beauty. So what does he wear when he says, don't braid your hair, right? Or wear jewelry or fancy clothing. He's not saying, don't braid your hair or wear jewelry or fancy clothing. What he is saying is, don't get so focused in on that, that that's all you do. There's something deeper than that. We need to honor the Lord with the way that we live. And, and for women to only care about the way they look, they're going to miss the mark. Women have this desire, it's a natural desire to appear beautiful. And that's great. Right? And, and men have a natural tendency to be attracted to something that's beautiful. Right? It's not a bad thing, but even good things or neutral things can become bad. Just as it's bad for men to be fixated only on a woman's natural beauty, it's also unhealthy for a woman to be solely fixated on her beauty. Beauty fades, right? We know that. We get older. We wrinkle. It was funny, as, as, as Kevin and I were sitting across the table studying this week, it's, it's like, although we were talking about the women here, so many of these things are applicable, and, and we're both getting a little bit older, and we start going, man, we wrinkle, and, and, and we've, we've gained some weight, and, and our hair changes, right? Color, and it starts to thin out, and it just doesn't last, And yet we see people just trying to grasp and hold on tight. I can't let go of this, right? And we started talking about those rich, affluent actresses that have had gobs of plastic surgery done, right? Stuff that we could never afford to do, you know? But they've done it. And and, and some of them, when you look at them, they look worse than they would if if they would just grown old naturally, right? I know you know who I'm talking about. And you've seen those people, And you're like, man, I saw them six months ago. They didn't look like this. What are they doing to themselves? But they're trying so hard to hold on to natural beauty. 
Because they don't realize that what's really important is that internal beauty. That's what lasts forever. Look what, look what Peter says. It's the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Wow. Like that's incredible, right? There are so many incredibly intelligent, strong women in my life. I've been blessed with, with, with my mom and my, my mother-in-law and other people in the church that I know. There's, there, there's so many of these strong women in my life, right? And, and, and so it, it's tempting to say gentle and, and quiet and, and get a misunderstanding about that. God isn't saying, oh, just, just sit over in the corner and be quiet. We don't want you to be heard, right? We're not telling you to be soft or, or to not be a part of the discussion or the conversation, right? That's not what's happening here. Real strength, though, is strength under control. Strength reserved for the right scenario. And, and as Kevin and I were talking about that, yes, God is talking through Peter to women and the idea of subjecting themselves, submitting to their husbands. And yet, when we were talking about this, we started thinking about the strongest men that we knew that were in our lives, right? We even backed up a little bit more and we said, man, the bully on the playground shows his force through what? Pushing kids down, making fun of them, puffing themselves up, right? That's not strength. Most bullies are very uh, insecure and that's why they do that. And so we started thinking about the men in our lives who we would look at and value as strong examples, godly men, uh, and not just godly men. Some of these men, you know, are, are men we were also admiring because they could, they could, if they needed to, kick our butts. I mean, these are like really strong. And yet the ones that are the most beautiful to us, the ones that we, that we know the most, the ones that have become mentors in our lives, know how to walk around with a gentle quietness, right? They don't have to flex and, and, and let everybody know what they can do. They use their strength sparingly and appropriately. And that's what we might admire about them. Jesus when he was arrested, spat upon, whipped, and beaten, could have retaliated. He could have taken care of the problem, right? But he didn't. He submitted to God the Father's plan. That was strength, right? He did what he had to do. That was strength. So women, use your gifts Use your reasoning. Use, use your powers of persuasion. Use your great understanding of scripture, but use them with restraint and gentleness. Use them appropriately. That's what Peter's encouraging you to do. Not to be a doormat. And you won't find anyone in this church that will argue that. For those of you though who are moms, this was another example that we loved this week. For those of you who are moms, does a shrill voice from your child usually persuade you to change your mind? No, right? No way. Does it make you want to give the child what he wants or cave in? Does the, a, 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 a child's constant nagging get you to the place where you're like, oh, okay, let's go ahead and do that. I doubt that. Because again, I know a lot of you. You're strong women. You've laid down the law. You, you're, you're training your child in the proper way. And if they whine about something, you don't just give in, right? There's a way to do it in a God-honoring God way. To use all the strengths 
to positively influence your husband, your family, and just do it in the way that he has asked us to do it, in an honoring way. And Peter calls back to holy women of, of the Bible, women that these people who had read would know of. Specifically, he calls back to Sarah. And, and I like that he chose Sarah for many reasons. But the biggest reason is that she saw growth in her life. So most of you know of Sarah. She was Abraham's wife. And early on, she became so frustrated that she could not have children with Abraham, that she finally convinced her husband, Abraham, to have a child with her maidservant, Hagar, right? And that union became one of the biggest mistakes of Abraham and Sarah's lives, right? And we continue to see the ill effects of that sin even to today. But Sarah grew. This is the beauty of the story that Peter wants you to get. She became what God wanted her to be. She learned from her mistakes. Right? What a hope for us today. We don't have to be defined by our past mistakes. The way that we've treated our, our spouse or our family in the past. We can grow into who God has called us to be. And now Sarah also obeyed Abraham, right? We see that a few times. Um, she even obeyed Abraham a few times that she shouldn't have. Abraham also led Sarah into sin in multiple situations. In fact, that may be what Peter had in mind. Kevin and I were looking at this this week when he refers to fear or fearing anything that is frightening. In other words, that idea of submission, and yet we are supposed to stand up and stand against sin. And so when Abraham had her lie, maybe Sarah, in a God-honoring way and still a submitting way, should have stood up to her husband and reminded him of the faithfulness of God. Now this text again, like we pointed out the last couple of weeks, this text is not saying obey your husbands if they ask you to sin. Your ultimate Lord is the Lord God. But the bottom line, how much time and energy do you put into your internal beauty versus your external beauty? Okay? This is a challenge for the women. I know we all spend a lot of time in front of the mirror, right? But what if we redeem that time? So as Kevin and I were talking about this this week, we, we kind of had some ideas, and you guys might think that they're not the greatest, but just at least hear us out and know your, our hearts, right? Maybe as you put on your eye makeup this week, you could pray, Lord, help me to see the best in people today. Help me to see the efforts my husband does make rather than the things that he fails in. So maybe you, you take that opportunity as you're focusing in on your external beauty to, to think about what it means Maybe on the internal side. When you're putting on your lipstick, maybe you say, Lord, help my words today be your words. Let them not be too many, but also let them not be too few. Help me to speak life into my family. Now, you get the point. The idea is, is taking an opportunity to think about those things that God has called us to that helps us become a little bit more like Jesus Christ. Help us to go down that discipleship path. The things that we should be actively seeking to do. 
And in this case, we can redeem that time that it takes for you to, to, to adorn yourself in beauty as a person. You can also change that into an opportunity to engage with the Lord. You can honor God through this. So, all right, women, you've had your feeding. Hopefully the men have even understood some of this. And now we're going to turn to these last couple of verses uh, about about men. A little bit shorter, but it doesn't mean that it's less important, right? He's going to bring some conviction here through these last couple of, of verses. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of of life so that your prayers may not be hindered by starting husbands this section here for the husbands he says likewise now now peter makes the point that it's take it takes both parties it's the men it's the women and when he said likewise in verse 1 and now here again in verse 7 he's referring back to the two sections before this right? Talking about government, talking about bosses. It's the same idea. It's the same concept for all three of these sections that we've looked at over the last three weeks. We have been called to honor God by submitting in a godly way to authority and in our homes. That's what Peter is writing about, okay? So let's just unpack this real quick. Honoring one another is what Peter is calling us to. And it, and it takes work to do that. If there was any part of us that, that, that as a men, uh, as men would want to say, hey, show us a little respect, right? We've completely missed what Peter is writing about. We've missed the point here. If you listen to those first couple points uh, for the women and thought anything other than God is calling women to live in an, a God-honoring way. You've missed the point. His first challenge to us as husbands would be live with our wives in an understanding way. If you've ever said, I don't understand women, well, I, I have some good news and some bad news for you. Actually, it's good news and it's good news. The, the good news is you don't have to understand women, right? You only have to understand one woman. Yours, right? And, and, and also, right, you have to just submit to God's plan for husbands and wives. Now, the good news is you have committed to a lifelong relationship or marriage of knowing your woman, your wife. And that's what you need to focus in on. My wife should be my greatest pursuit, Right? There are a lot of us men who, who truly pursued our wives' hearts before we got married. But then, since then, we've allowed to maybe take, maybe not just co-pilot seat, but maybe the back seat. As we pursued friendships with other guys, or our job and the potential of a future there, or whatever else might distract us from that. Back in the day, we paid attention to what she liked and what she disliked. We noticed her interests in music and movies and clothing, and we learned to enjoy them with her. We cared deeply about her, whether she was happy or sad or, or anxious, or we knew if she was just a little too quiet. 
But when we look at the kinds of husbands that we've become or that we can become if we're careless in there, in that way, I should say, it's a lot like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, right? Unfortunately, some of you women are sitting out there going, the guy that I'm sitting next to right now or the guy that's at home is not the same as he was when I married him. And maybe for us guys, it's, it's time to stop being defensive about that and start being introspective. Now, of course, I would hope and pray that if you're sitting there today and you say, yeah, my, my husband is not the man who I married, that that sentence would continue on and you would say, it's because he's made a lot of life change and he's become closer to the disciple that God has called him to be. He wants to be more like Jesus. That's the change I hope that you would see. Unfortunately, a lot of times, it's the prior. Jesus cares deeply about his bride, the church, every day. He pursues his bride every day. He knows and understands his bride every day. And we have been called to be more like Jesus. So, man, if you've allowed yourself, even if it's just to coast, today I want to challenge you to get back to the way you were when you first met her and pursue her and love her. Paul calls us in his letters to love our brides in the same way that Christ loves her church. Peter's not the only one that talks about it. Paul talked about it too. We have a high calling on our marriages. It's a supernatural calling. It's from God. And what we've been called to do should result in supernatural results and change in our families, in our wives' lives, in our own lives. My challenge today for you would even continue on, husbands, to become a a student of your wife again. Know her. Find out what she needs, what she wants, what she craves. And a lot of time in in counseling, when I end up doing marriage counseling, the thing that I see over and over, your wife craves emotional and spiritual intimacy. She wants you to lead her into the relationship with God. And do you give her that? Or like a lot of men, are you only worried about getting through the day, right? You barely think about the family, the kids. You got a lot on your plate. You're trying to get to that next promotion. And then you try to work in a date night here or there. But you don't really think about her or what she needs. We need to know their hopes and their dreams and their fears and their struggles. We've been called to know her, to understand her, be committed to her throughout this lifelong quest that we've been placed on. The second command here as we're, as we're getting closer to the end, uh, to the husbands, is to show honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. And, and, and man, I, I got through the first part about women submitting themselves or honoring their husbands, and, and that was kind of a hard word, and, 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 and it could be misunderstood. And then Peter's got to throw in this weaker vessel thing. And so over the years, I've heard people talk about this. I've read things on this. This week, I've read a lot of things on this, right? So let's just jump in here. Here really quick, what does this mean? 
know that we've talked to our mentors. We've read sermons. We've listened to sermons. We read commentaries. We've listened to podcasts. Kevin and I, we wanted to dive into this. We wanted to hear every side. What in the world is Peter talking about uh, with, with the weaker vessel? We both already had our ideas, um, and yet we wanted to know what people were saying, what, what the, the, the theologians had written, what the, the men and women with more letters after their names than mine had written and thought. So we're going to give you a couple different options. Um, and, and then we're going to talk about what, what I think it is. One of the options, um, is the idea of, of weaker morally. After all, Eve was the one who was deceived, right? Wrong. So even though that concept, that thought process is out there, we don't buy into it at all. Adam went right along with Eve uh, when he should have led and protected her. Men are just as morally weak as women. And so we really don't see that as the argument for the weaker vessel, right? Then we, we looked at another argument, the weaker emotionally, okay? And, and women in general tend to be more ruled by their emotions, right? Men are more logical. Wrong. Kevin and I don't agree with that one. We were like, no, that's, that's not fair. That's not right. And, and it, when Kevin and I get started, if you know Kevin, you love Kevin, right? But if you know Kevin, he and I started talking and we were like, this couldn't be the case because we have to admit that he and I, in our respective relationships with our wives, are the emotional ones. We're the ones that are wired a lot of times what you would assume would be the woman. We're kind of those people. We're the emotionally uh, charged ones sometimes. And the other thing we didn't like about this argument, and maybe because we're both emotional beings, uh, is even if it is a conversation on emotion, why does that make someone weak? So we didn't like the argument that is laid out there, right? Uh, I, I think that men who can't connect emotionally with others, especially their wives, they need to work on that, right? They should work to be more emotional and pray that Holy Spirit allows them to connect in a new and different way. Just like somebody who might be ruled by their emotions too much needs to probably pull it back a little bit. So again, we didn't like the idea of, of either of those, the, the, and especially that weaker emotionally one. Um, the most plain reading, and I believe the point, the spirit of what Peter is writing here, is that she is weaker physically. After all, he speaks of a vessel, right? Uh, 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 like a vase, now, this isn't to be sexist, as women have a much higher pain tolerance than men. I will give you that, right? They tend to get sick less, and they die at a much older age, generally speaking. There are also women in this very room, I know you know who you are, that could probably kick my butt, okay? So there are some strong women in this room, right? And there are definitely a ton of you out there that could beat me in an endurance race. But, hear me out. If you were to put 10 average men, just average size, average strength, average men, and 10 average women on the other side of a tug-of-war rope, the men would beat the women. 
One woman we listened to this week said uh, that she had, uh, had asked a bunch of men in her lives, when you get ready to walk down a dark road or alleyway at night, what do you do? And every single one of them said, I walked down the road. I mean, I don't know what you're trying to ask me, right? Like I walked my car. But he, she, I should say, she asked her women friends, the women that she was getting response as she was putting together this book that she was writing. And to a, to a T, every single one of them said, I'm aware of my surroundings. I'm putting my keys between my finger. I carry mace with me. I, I pretend I'm on a cell phone in a conversation, right? A woman has to go through her life aware that men typically are more physically powerful and tend to prey on women. They have to use their other strengths to stay safe. Now, obviously, this is sad. This is tragic. But it's the world we live in where sin still rules. And and far be it from any man to ever raise his hand to a woman. It's despicable. It's sinful. And we have to stand up for those who are weaker than us. Physically, socially, we can't let chivalry die, even if we live in a a country that would say that it should. The other sort of physical weakness a, a woman of Peter's time had to deal with, and we have to keep that in mind as we're going through this, was in the cultural realm. A woman simply had less rights than a man. They were subclass citizens when it came to property ownership and voting and, and all those things. And so, although that's sad, right? And it's not the case in America. At least we're working at pushing that. It's shocking to know that this still exists around the world. And a lot of you soldiers who have been overseas, you've seen this firsthand. I've only read about it. But there are countries where this still exists. And so that's what Peter had in mind when he was writing here. We think that we've made a lot of strides in America, and and in some ways we have, but it's still more difficult for women to get equal pay and respect in the workplace, right? How about you mothers that, that are frustrated that when you tell your kids to do something, they don't listen to you, they don't obey you, but if dad says it, they snap right to attention. Peter is just showing there are differences in men and women but it doesn't mean that they're less than. The honor we show our wives is because although she may be weaker physically, she is your equal in so many other ways, in the ways that matter. Many of our lives, our wives actually far surpass us. And praise God for that. And shame on us men as we continue to grow. We need to catch up to them. So we have the privilege and the honor to treat her with love and respect that she's due. And if, if your wife is leading the family spiritually, shame on you. Not that she can't lead the spirit, the spiritual side of the family, but you need to strive to be the leader in the family. We need to show them honor by loving and respecting them. Weaker vessel is also translated as a fine vase, right? Your, your wife is a treasure. Do you treat her that way? Do you honor her physical beauty and uniqueness as well as her internal 
beauty, and uniqueness? Do you honor the gifts that she brings to your family, the abilities that she has been given? And do you encourage her to serve with those gifts? Peter says that we are to honor our wives since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. We are all equals. We are heirs together. They are not sub at all. We are equal partakers of grace. And we all equally need grace. We esteem our wives because they are our equals. Their roles may be different, but they're still equals. And it can be both. And Peter ends with this kind of scary warning. So that your prayers may not be hindered. The quality of your relationship with God, men, is in direct correlation to the quality of your relationship with your wife. Let me say that again. The quality of your relationship with God, men, is in direct correlation to the quality of your relationship with your wife. So that your prayers may not be hindered. How are they not hindered? Act in the way that you have been called to act. If you're not showing honor and understanding to your wife, why should God hear your prayers? Who are you to approach the throne of grace that you have been invited to if you can't do what he has asked you to do in your home? And the other thing Kevin and I noticed this week is the prayers there, it's plural. And it could be multiple prayers, but it also could mean that this should be something that you and your wife should be doing together. As a couple, God through Peter is assuming that we are or should be at least praying together with our wives. The divorce rate among those couples that pray together is drastically lower than those who do not. And yet men struggle to pray with their wives. And and if I'm honest, I have to admit that I came under great conviction this week of this. As there have been uh, times of, of great struggle in that area. And there's also been times where we've seen the success and the fruit of praying together. But to stay consistent in that over the entire 29 years that we've been together has been tough. And yet the encouragement from Peter here is don't give up. This is what God has called you to do. So how can you and I show honor to our wives this week? Well, we can start by praying with them. So if you haven't been praying together, maybe that's something you could do. But don't stop there. Find new ways, creative ways to every day honor your wife. Make it easy for her to be the kind of wife that she's been called to be. One who honors and submits to you. It can be a heavy word and and, and a lot of times there are things that as we talk about uh, passages like this, there's a lot of assumptions that are made. And we know that every couple is different and has their own challenges. But the call is still the same to honor those around you.